This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of All Things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids. The podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. I love when we get to talk about big issues. And today we're talking to somebody who is talking about something that is critical for all life as we know it. Yes, I completely agree. What problem are we solving today? How does drinking water get to your house? How does drinking water get to your house? This is, yeah, pretty important. And this is going to be an engineering episode. Yay, I am so excited. <laughs> Who is our guest today, Jeff? Our guest today is the one and only Charles Trip Barton. He is a civil engineer with a large American water company. Welcome to the show, Trip. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you, and we're going to talk all about water and how it gets to your house. Kind of important topic, don't you think? I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to start out the show with, when you were a kid, were you always fascinated by water and how it moved? So I, it's a pretty boring story. I am the <laughs> third <laughs> I'm the third civil engineer in a row in our family. Oh. Uh, I wanted to strike out and do radio and TV, but uh, I got pulled <laughs> back into the engineering. <laughs> uh, my grandpa was a, a civil engineer for the Army. My dad wow. was a civil engineer for the Illinois Department of Transportation. Wow. And then in a private okay. practice at a, a consulting firm. So, it, no, it was good. But, no, I wanted to do something sciencey. Oceanography was on the on the radar for a while, but then civil engineering is pretty broad. It can cover anything. It is pretty much anywhere. So it's a nice general general yeah. thing to do. So well, yeah. and there aren't too many oceans in Illinois where you live. So but yeah, oddly <laughs> enough, yeah, University of Illinois has an oceanography program. But oh, they do. They do, but I don't know what they do. So <laughs> so I have always kind of wondered. Civil engineering, I think, is one of those. Areas of engineering where a lot of folks in the general public don't know as much about how many different avenues you yes. can go down. What are some of the avenues and how did you end up targeting water? Yeah. So it's a long story. But civil engineering is basically the engineering that all the other disciplines do not want to do. And generally, <laughs> it does. So it's roads, bridges, the structural part of buildings is civil engineering. Okay. You know, railroads, anything outside, parks, developments, but gotcha. a lot of utility stuff. So on the water and then wastewater side, so clean water coming to your house and right. then water going away from your house, that's civil engineering as well. We okay. help out on the electrical and gas grids as well for wow. out of networks and things like that. So I started out kind of doing the transportation thing for a while. I used to do traffic signals. And I, then we, we had a couple of projects that came through that were more environmental engineering. So it's more water and wastewater, that kind of thing. And that's right. kind of how I did. So after I got into the workforce, that's when I kind of switched over to water. I got interested in geographic information systems. So like smart mapping, things like oh. 
Google Maps for utilities, sort of. And then that's kind of where I really got into it. And then that's kind of where it progressed from there. So it's been pretty interesting. You know, there's a lot of different avenues to get into with uh, civil engineering. So I highly recommend it to anybody that's interested. I mean, yeah, that sounds fun. Okay, so now I'm curious. Google Maps, you said for kind of yeah. So what did you, you know, say for that? Like how you uh, use Google them? Maps for utilities? Yeah, utilities, anything. Yeah. So basically, it's it's smart mapping and slides for utilities. It's more like I have a water main leak here. Okay. What, what valves do I need to shut to isolate that leak? Oh. Who do I need to call? So it's basically all integrated now. So we can we can shut the valves on the map and then know. Okay, we're going to affect these fifteen customers. And no we have kidding! Wow. Yeah, it's all, it's all pretty much interconnected, which is pretty it's pretty cool. So yeah, it's you know water systems have been around probably since forever, but this <laughs> right. which is a good thing, right? Which is a good right? thing. <laughs> but there's new stuff that comes, new technologies that can be applied to old technology. So that's one of the things that kind of excited me on the GIS and the thing. So yeah, it's wow. trace routing for sanitary sewers. It's I'm just talking very small, you know, on the on the transportation side of thing. Got the guts behind Google Maps, you know, center line driven, location based. The same thing is used for like transportation centers and monitoring that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of applications. So we do. I used to work for a civil engineering firm, and we do view shed analysis. So if we want to put in, especially if it was like a business that wanted to say who could see me, you can say I'm at this elevation. And they would say, okay, from all around here, who can we see? We use it now for water towers. And if somebody wants to put a radio antenna on a water tower, we can see, you know, line of sight to see what, what kind of coverage that would have. So oh, it's a great, cool. pretty, yeah, there's a lot of different things that we can do with that. And that's right now, the new thing for GIS is, is going inside the buildings and actually having mapping inside the building. So that's kind of like the the new thing. So you mean like uh, knowing where the plumbing is and everything? Yeah. So they have building information systems, and then those are kind of morphing. Where you you you'll probably see Google Maps occasionally. If you you'll see like the inside of a mall, and if you can have a tracking, you can actually yes. see where you're at inside. The, so it's kind of it's that more of an on a you know like a company application rather than a public use thing like Google. But <laughs> oh, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty smart. You have smart buildings, and you can know where you're at within the building. They use it for we'll do. LIDAR, there is light in yep. right. ranging. We'll like do 3D modeling of the inside of the building. So you have a model and then you could do scenarios for like fire and police if they want to do a, a simulated response. Like where would we go? Oh, wow. For us, it's nice because you, you measure it once and then you don't have to go out and measure it again. You know, okay, this is a three foot door and there's 18 feet between this. Tank. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So yeah. yeah. Wow. I, yeah. You hear about technology and how it's improving things, right. but until you get some details inside folks' jobs like yours, you don't really think about it. Right. And like what you were saying with Google Maps inside of buildings, I went to this San Diego Air and Space Museum. Turns out when you zoom in far enough on Google Maps, yeah. you can see the inside of the museum and drawings of all the planes and everything and where they are. Wow. It never even occurred to me to think of it in terms of the building's infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. That just sounds fascinating. So how much is that being integrated into the systems, the water systems? Do you use it like occasionally or is that 
pretty much what you guys are doing all the time now is just continually adding the technology. We're continually adding technology and wow. uh, utilities, you know, like the kind of dividing line is a property line. So we are out in the public. Okay. Most of our stuff is out there. And then this would be something that the customer, our customer would do, a private customer and behind their property line to do so. But we're using it on our facilities, like our water treatment plants, our pump stations, that kind of stuff. So things that we have inside that would be applied to assume. Wow. And then uh, super cool. Yeah, it is, really, it is really cool. But yeah, even like during design, they use these building information systems where it's basically 3D CAD of the whole building. You can actually rotate it, see what's going on, isolate different. You know, like, I want to see all the plumbing systems. I want to that see. That is the, so cool. Oh, my goodness. Still, and then that that's kind it's of a, not just in the movies anymore. <laughs> it's, really, it's really a thing. And that's been around for probably 15 years, the building information modeling. And it's pretty ubiquitous. So it's pretty cool stuff. Wow. I mean, that's so amazing because, you know, those of us who, I mean, this is not the job that we do. So we aren't aware that there's this much technology that you can use. But I want to get to our question. So, because I think this is really cool. How does drinking water get to your house? So, So, I mean, like, this is a really important thing for all of us to understand. (laughs) So can you go through the steps for us? It depends on where you're at. Okay. Generally, generally, water comes from two sources, either comes from groundwater, like in a well, it's pumped, okay, and then it's treated and distributed, or it comes from surface water. So it could be a lake, a river, the oh. ocean sometimes if you can have a desalination plant, but generally it's surface water or groundwater. So most often groundwater is very predictable. You know, it's consistent. It's the same temperature generally when it gets pumped okay. up. Gotcha. Uh, the ground kind of acts as a giant filter before it gets to the well. So right. it's clean by the time you get it. Oh. Surface water is very plentiful and it's it's already pumped up. So it's easier to get at, but it's more, it's highly variable as far as like the water quality and the temperature. Okay. So if you're on a river, you know, you're pulling in water that it's, it can vary from 35 degrees up to yep. whatever in the summertime so you have to worry about biology it's only what kind of things are growing oh, there. Yeah. The, right. the groundwater and you have to worry about that anywhere but the groundwater it's a little more predictable so we have a mixed bag where the area that i cover between surface water and groundwater so once it's brought up from those two sources it's brought into a water treatment plant and the, the okay the treatment plants vary quite a bit you know but generally there is that is settling so it's basically initial settling of particles out of the water right then it moves over to filtration which is more of a a fine-tuned think of your if you have a at-home water filter that writ large you know yes so we have these filters are generally made out of multi-layer between like sand anthracite and sometimes we add granular carbon uh, it's like you have a filter on your water system at home Mm -hmm. sometimes we do that on a large scale. So it goes through the filter. Filters usually last for about two or three days. We clean the filters, basically backwash it all, clean it. And then it's oh, wow. the, the particle size, the sand settle or this anthracite settles out first, then the sand and then the carbon. So it actually goes back in the layers it's supposed to based okay. on the weight of the particle in the water. Wow. It's kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. So after that filtration, and then it's pretty much chemical addition. We disinfection is the next step you know yes disinfection can be it's usually chlorine and then in the united states a lot of places use gaseous chlorine which is not super safe 
Well, it's done safely, but it's not as safe as sodium hypochlorite, which is basically it's bleach. You know, when you go to the store, Ah, bleach, that's a little safer to work with. People use that to disinfect, but we have a couple installations around here where we use ultraviolet light as a disinfectant. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. It inactivates viruses and kills bacteria. But usually that's a one-time shot. Usually you still have to add chlorine in. So when it goes out into the distribution system, Mm -hmm. there's some active disinfectant in there. So it lasts by the time it gets to your house or stays in the water tower for a while. But no, those are the kind of things that happen. Pump stations to get it to your house, water towers, you know, all those things are part of the process that get clean water from the source to your tap. So yeah, that's kind of a general idea. So I have always kind of wanted to know with that sort of backing it all the way up to where your water comes from. Mm -hmm. If you just envision a map of the United States, okay, here's America. Here's, you know, we all live in different places in America. Is there a maximum distance that houses are allowed to be from a water source before like, oh no, we need to pump water to this house from somewhere else because they're too far from this other source. Absolutely. So during the engineering phase, two things are looked at. Elevations affect pressures. So that's one thing. Sure, yes. sure. And then there's friction loss in the pipe between the source and where it gets to your house. Generally, okay. that's fairly, usually it's pretty big diameter piping. So it's fairly low friction loss, not during just regular flow. Friction comes into play when there's a demand, like during a fire event. So people have a couple of fire hydrants open or that's where the pipe friction comes in a little bit more. But elevation is a big driver. So every 2.31 feet of height is one PSI. So you one pound per square inch of Wow. Okay. So generally, these towers that you see, we shoot for 60 to 80 pounds per square inch PSI. Okay. Okay. That's, you know, it depends on where you're at. But generally, you know, these towers are about, usually run between 160 and 200 feet tall. Right. Uh, Sometimes they're built on, you know, the high part of town. So you can make a shorter tower. But that's what keeps the static pressure for the water in the system. Never so knew that's, that. Yeah, it's and that's, never I mean, knew the height of the tower was factored in. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how it goes. Okay. So I have a question because we're talking about water pressure. So, you know, sometimes you'll go, and I know water pressure can be dependent upon like your shower head, right? Or, sure. you know, whatever. Sure. You know, sometimes it's better and worse. Yeah. But how does like water pressure affect it coming into your house? Because occasionally, you know, I mean, I've been in a house and you turn it on and you're like, oh, yeah. So what causes that to change? Usually the pressure to the house, like on the outside, should be pretty solid. I mean, it should be pretty steady. So maybe the height of the water in the tower up and down will vary a little bit, the pressure at the house. A lot of times there's constrictions on inside plumbing. Either it was undersized or there can be sometimes plumbing over time will have buildup on the inside. So actually the the size of the pipe will constrict. You won't notice it on the outside, but, you know. Uh, if you cut, you see old plumbing, cut it open, you can see oh, yes. about half this, you know, half. Yeah, the, there's like corrosion yeah, or something yeah. inside well, it's it. Probably yeah. something we don't like to talk about. It's kind of out of sight of mind, but that can stop the lower pressure. But a lot of times there's things that this, like your faucet, they have aerators, you know, at the end of the faucet, you know, right. sometimes it's get plugged up. 
or they just get gummed up. You can replace those and that'll actually help with the pressure as well. The pressures, I think the pressure usually is there. It's just not getting to where it needs to, at least inside the home. So usually there's, it could be a filter, so like a whole house filter that's, you know, needs to be replaced. That, those kind of things are. Oh, are, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I'm not one who likes to turn on the shower and it just trickles, right? Like, yeah. I, like I like the blast. Exactly. Okay. So I know this doesn't necessarily maybe fit in how the water gets there, but can you explain Cause I've always wondered this, how does a hot water heater work? Because you know, when you have multiple people in a house, right? Oh, sure, sure. And then everybody wants to take a shower at once and then you run out of hot water. Could you kind of talk about how that works? Sure, sure. So a hot water heater, usually, I don't know where it is in everybody's houses. There's two kinds. There's a, a tankless one and a right. tank water heater. So most people have a tank water heater. And you buy them in different sizes. They're usually like 40 to 60 gallons. So right. you can, and the inside there is a, a heating element and the heating element can either be electric or it can be gas. Basically, it keeps this 60-gallon or 50-gallon, whatever size you have, hot, even when you're not using it. There's a minimum temperature. When the water in there gets low enough, it reheats everything. And on your faucet, you know, either usually you have a supply. You've got a cold supply. Right. And a hot supply. Then it basically, it, you're balancing the sources between those two. And then it's basically hot water available. Now, the tankless ones are nice because it's hot water on demand. So water is actually a little more energy efficient. A lot of times they'll put the water heater right by the faucet. So you don't have a long time where you lose heat, but then you only heat what you need. But then you have to kind of beef up the electrical to get there to make sure you've got enough enough power to instantly make water hot. But no, those are the two options for uh, on the water heater side of things. So then why do you run out? Because there's only, because I guess, is it only the water that's in the tank that's heated? So if if you like the first two people get the showers in the morning, then the third person gets very little water? uh, That is 100% (laughs) it. We have teenagers in our house. Yes, I, I can <laughs> there's a benefit for getting in there early, right? Oh, there you go. Not, not fighting for hot water, but no, same boat. Basically, you've run out of water, and it takes it takes a little while. The water heaters are not instantly heated, like the tanked ones, right? Like the instantaneous ones. So it takes a little while for that water to get warmed back up. So yeah, that's that's what's going on there. <laughs> okay, so far all the houses I've lived in have had that water heater tank. I have wondered is with newer construction and newer technologies and sort of that problem we were just discussing, are the tankless, is that where homes are going to go in the future? I think so. I mean, it seems like a lot of new construction and you you see a lot more new technology like radiant heat is a little, you know, rather than heat, all that kind of stuff. When the tankless water heaters came out, they were fairly expensive, so there was a little bit of a barrier to entry. But right. now they're very they're very affordable, and they t- they take up a lot less space than a, a tankless water heater or a tanked water heater. So sure. yeah, I think that's definitely going to be the way it goes in the future too. Cool. Okay, so I have another question because we have someone in our family who has eczema. So you know, there we're always been worried about hard water versus soft water. Can you explain the difference between what that sure. is? Basically, it's calcium carbonate in the water, and, and that's what drives the hardness. So depending upon where you're at, especially with groundwater, uh, I, I live in the Midwest. All of our water is is hard. The good news is that it does seal up tiny cracks uh, if you get the time, but in the back, <laughs> it, it does build up, can, can build up in the, in the inside of it. Like it shows like at the end of your plumbing, you know, like on a spigot or a shower, right. that kind of thing. 
But soft water it has been, uh, it, it, there's a couple of different ways. You can do lime softening. It removes the hardness. You can also do ion exchange, which is like uh, reverse osmosis. And those kinds of things can remove that hardness out of the water, which makes it, they call it soft. But you'll notice it if, if you have never consumed like soft water and you've only drank hard water, you'll notice it when you, it's like, what is different here? So yeah, yeah less hardness in there is basically less calcium carbonate in the water. It can dry out. You, you notice uh, you use more soap in the water. Like if you're in a, a place that has soft water, you're, you know, you're lathering up, that'll last longer in water. So that because that soap is being consumed by the calcium carbonate in the water. So that's kind of why the soap lasts longer in a, in a soft water situation. But well, and what we do for the soft water, I mean, that's what the doctors told us to mm-hmm. do to help, you know, our child deal with the eczema. So we put in a filter in our house so yeah. that it, you know, kind of goes through there. And it's funny too, because now that they have moved away and they come back and they're like, wow, the water feels like, you know, it's more <laughs> slippery or something because it's softer here. It varies depending upon where you live at in the United States, too. So yeah. this, at least in the Midwest, for groundwater, a lot of it's limestone, like under like everything down like the bedrock and it's all limestone. So that right. water pulling it from a well has been sitting in basically almost pure calcium carbonate the whole time. And that's where that uh, is kind of comes from. It could be uh, present in surface water as well. So. Uh-huh. Right. Hmm. And what you were saying about how, depending on where you live in America, Oh my gosh, the water is so different coming out of the tap in different places. I live in Colorado and I love it here. This is like the champagne of tap water. (laughs) And when I go to my wife's family's house in small town, Ohio, Oh, sure. Me and the tap water do not uh, get along. <laughs> like it has a weird smell, a weird taste. I just yeah. can't handle it. I have got to go to the bottle. Yeah, point. you know, there's no judgment here. It's just a safe space. But no, I, I get, <laughs> I think people get used, they, especially whatever they had during their yes. trip. That's what yes. they do. And then someone else will come to your house like, oh, that's gross. I'm like, that's normal, right? So, right. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. And then there's a bit of a, a local pride in however your water tastes. But yeah, it definitely varies quite a bit. When we travel, I'm on the, my family makes fun of me. Like I get, we get to the hotel room and I, you know, turn the water on and go, oh, that's good water. You know, like, no, <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. You, you know, like, Chicago has really good water. It's crazy. You know? But then like, I went to Boston and it was, it was okay. But I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so in our house, they grew up with the, the water softener, but we also have a reverse osmosis tap, which we drink sure. out of. Sure. So when our kids, we would go visit places, our kids would turn on the water and be like, can we drink this? Is this okay? <laughs> And I'm like, it's fine. It just, it's just different, right? Yeah. It's the same water that goes if you're going to go, you know, fountain soda, whatever. It's the same water. Yeah, it's exactly. I'll go on in the same thing. So, yeah. The amount that goes into something that I am sure nearly all of us that aren't working in the water industry are taking for granted. We just turn on the tap and the water works. And if it doesn't, it's an immediate panic in the house of, honey, where's the plumber's number? We need help right now. The amount that goes into it, it really does become fascinating Yeah. of, you know, I don't necessarily want to do your job, but I want to ask you like 400 questions. Well, and we appreciate your job. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Yes. 
Like no. when people change their flags outside for like military appreciation or teacher <laughs> appreciation, day, where is the utilities appreciation? <laughs> exactly. My light switch works and the lights go on. Bam. The well, water every single time. We appreciate that. Yeah. I am fascinated with the idea of the, the concept of just how much water there is on earth and I guess the noise out there in the world, talking heads on TV and stuff, sure. that we might run out of drinking water here on Earth. Sorry. And because we teach kids the water cycle and mm-hmm. it keeps going through, is running out of clean drinking water something we need to be concerned about? You know what? There are a lot smarter people than me that are working <laughs> on that problem. But I will say, you know, I was over 97% of the Earth's water is in the ocean. Yes. And so we have a a big percent. Yeah, we have a very so like groundwater is about 0.62% of the Earth's water. Oh, wow. Uh, Lakes, it's 0.09%. Rivers is 0.001%. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, like, we, as far as the United States goes, I mean, like, we have the Great Lakes, which is an incredible gift, is something we need to, we need to conserve and we need to make sure we use water wisely. But there, right. are, there are other options for getting good drinking water. So the company I work for, we have a, a desalination plant. I, I have not okay. been involved with it, but those are those are starting to pop up. So, you know, you just have to figure out how it's it's a very expensive process to yes. desalinate water. That's what I've heard. Very and can be very energy intensive, but also another option for getting water. So but you're right. It's something to think about. We take it for granted. It, everything's cool until it's not. And then we need to make sure you know, that we we make sure those resources around for for future generations. And I would imagine, like everything else, there's technology that they're working on to develop to make the desalinization process less yep. intensive and not so expensive, and all these kinds of things. So, I mean, you know, any of you kids out there that are listening, go into civil engineering and help solve this problem. That would be amazing. There are a lot of you interested in water, yeah. so there's lots more you can keep learning but- about it. I mean, that would be really, really cool, I think. We're having a tough time finding people, actually, sometimes here in the last three or four years. So we, okay. we, we need more people on the, on the science science and engineering side of things. Uh, right. I, maybe, I don't know why they get scared away from it, but it's a great career. And, and it's, it is. It's fun to do, and we need, we need some help. So I'm, <laughs> Okay. I'm Trip's team. asking for help. As Galactic Space Geek, Jeff, I think about all of this water talk that we're talking about here. When we are talking about going to the moon and starting a moon base, as well as pushing on to Mars, one of the very first topics that always gets brought up is how are we going to handle the water situation? So knowing how to get water, use water, recycle water, and conserve it is critical information, both for us here on Earth and pushing out into the solar system if we're able to do that. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the big things they're going to have to tackle. Okay, well, I have learned so much about water, but now I'm curious. Oh, this is going to be good. We ask all of our guests to give our listeners a challenge. What challenge do you have for them today? Well, in the spirit of today's conversation, I challenge each and every one of your listeners to conserve water. And you think like, how do I do that? I just do baby steps. So the thing I started with is, you know, you're brushing your teeth. Yes. And you leave the you leave the faucet yeah. on while you're brushing your teeth. There's no value in that. So, what you're brushing your teeth, turn off the tap. And when you're done, turn the tap back on. 
A little things can add up to a lot of things. There's a lot of people on the planet. And if everybody did that, that's a lot of water that's saved. So just do little things and then you'll find other things that you can do that to conserve water around the house or at school or wherever you're at. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So does that mean I can't take my, you know, really, really long showers then? Uh, (laughs) As we already talked about, Jen, that's not kind to the other humans in your house. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's, there's only two of us now. So we we're the teenagers are gone, but no, seriously, I, you're right. We should, you know, we should kind of be aware of all that. Well, anyway, this has been so much fun. Again, I have learned so much about water. Thank you so much for being on Solve for Kids, Trip. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Talking about water is absolutely a conversation. Like we could talk to Trip and just keep on talking and talking yes. and talking. And I feel like this is one of those conversations that whether it's kids to adults, adults to kids, or all of us, we just need to keep this conversation going because there's so many facts, like 97% of the water on earth is ocean water. Turns out, not yummy. Yes. I don't want that. Only 3% is that fresh water, and even that needs to be handled and taken care of before it becomes our drinking water. Well, and, you know, the ocean water, yes, you can do a desalination process, but that's not cheap, unfortunately. So it's very important to keep fresh water available and flowing and I thought it was really cool to learn how this works and the treatment plants and all of those amazing things so Jeff are you gonna go and conserve water and turn off the tap as you're brushing your teeth so here's the deal with that one I do that all the time but what I'm gonna do just for my own visual I am gonna do this in reverse once While I'm brushing my teeth, I am going to leave the water on with a giant bowl or one of my cooking pots to collect so that I can visualize and actually see how much water I would be losing every time if I didn't do that. And then I'm going to use that water to cook a pot of pasta. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So you guys should all try that. You know, and also maybe talk with your families or your friends. And what are some other ways that you can conserve water? Because this is a fantastic challenge. And of course, you can always share what you've learned or some tips with us on our social media. We are at KidsSolve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to check out our website, SolveItForKids.com, where we have a page for every episode. So we'll have some more water tips on there. And also some books that you can read to learn more about water conservation and clean water and all those amazing things. We really look forward to hearing how you guys are conserving water and what types of things. Maybe you'll come up with something we are doing and you can help us out. Until next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve Solve It it For Kids. Kids.